Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. And welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I'm your host, Dr. Barry Pierre board-certified internist, host of the Lunch to Learn, the number one podcast for patient advocacy, helping you empower yourself for better health, bringing you episode 96. And this was uh, a delay episode, so I want to take some time out to thank all of the well-wishers and messages I've gotten over the past week or so. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, um, I actually came down uh, with a really bad case of pharyngitis and sore throat and cold and everything that usually follows whenever one of your kids gets sick. I know the parents listening uh, understand exactly what I mean because it, it's funny, right? Because I because I work in a hospital, I deal with you know adult illnesses all the time, right? And I deal with the sickest of the sickest patients on a frequent and uh, recurrent basis. And whatever they have never seems to bother me, never seems to you know cause me to have to you know, sleep a little longer, take a couple, nothing like that. But whenever one of my kids gets sick, and I have three of them, right? So whenever one of them gets sick, first of all, uh, if one gets sick, they spread it to all three of them, and then eventually moves up uh, to me and my wife. And whenever it hits me, it usually hits me like a ton of bricks. I'm usually out for at least a night, or I'm essentially in bed with chills and sweating all at the same time. And then I ended up losing my voice, uh, which clearly isn't good if I need to record podcasts or do a video if I can't even speak. So I usually spend about a couple of days of just TLC, uh, you know, drinking, you know, my hot tea as much as possible, uh, drinking my orange juice as much as possible, you know, trying to catch up on sleep that I probably should have already had, but I didn't. Um, So it, it definitely, you know, getting being ill uh, especially at the hands of one of your children is definitely one of those uh, good reset counters for me when it comes to uh, getting my energy right. But, uh, you know, all that said, I am back. Episode 96, we are talking about heart disease. Why? Because this is February and I wanted to give you guys an update on some heart related facts, just like the title says, you know, why 121 million are affected by heart disease and why you should be worried about it, right? Because this is an epidemic, right? This is, again, one of the number, and again, I'm sorry, not even one of the number one killer in the world, right? So we're going to be talking about heart disease today. So if you not had a chance, again, you can always uh, get the show notes at lunchlearnpod.com. Go to episode 96. Uh, and um, depending on where you're listening to me at, um, all of us clearly available at all your favorite podcast uh, stations. Go ahead, subscribe. Make sure you leave a review if you can, and tell you know at least one friend like, hey, uh, Dr. Barry is talking about heart disease this week. You need to check this episode out because there is not a person who is listening to uh, this episode who will not either be personally affected, who has a family member who is affected, or who has a family friend. Who's affected, right? So heart disease is one of those things that, and we'll get into it 
that affects a lot of people, right? So again, uh, let's sit back, get ready for another amazing episode here on the Lunch Learn with Dr. Barry. This episode is brought to you by the Lunch and Learn Community Store, where we are living out the motto, empower yourself for better health. In the Lunch and Learn Community Store, you can get your favorite t-shirts, ebooks, as well as other related products by Dr. Barry. Head over to shop.drpiersblog.com and get a chance to get 10% off your first purchase by using the coupon code EMPOWER10. Again, shop.drpiersblog.com. Live out the motto, empower yourself for better health. Ah, so what better month to be talking about heart disease than February when it is all about the love, it's all about the heart, all about giving. So I want to kind of give you guys an update on heart disease for 2019. Uh, We talked last year with Dr. Mike and he kind of gave a great uh, discussion on why we need to be heart healthy and fast forward about a year later and clearly we're seeing some things that isn't pointing to us being as heart healthy as we should. Um, Quick background, you know, what is heart disease, right? Heart disease is a very interchangeable uh, term that we hear a lot. And when, when I tell my patients, when I'm trying to explain it to my patients, because when they hear heart disease, they only think one thing. And I always say, like, yes, you're hearing the word heart disease, but really it's disease of the heart as well as the blood vessels. And these are blood vessels everywhere. So, of course, we have blood vessels that are important in the heart, but we also have important blood vessels in the brain, important blood vessels in our legs and our kidneys. Everywhere, every organ is supplied by blood vessels. And you can have disease associated with those blood vessels. So another interchangeable word associated with heart disease is actually cardiovascular disease, right? So that's a little bit more encompassing. But for most people, you know, cardiovascular disease doesn't really roll off the tongue like heart disease does. So they tend to just use heart disease, which is okay with us, right? So as a clinician, you know, I'm, I get a lot of reports and I'm always getting the latest and greatest health news updates. And uh, across my uh, email pops up this uh, phrase, 121 million people now have heart disease. So, of course, my, my interest is peaked because I want to know, like, how did that happen, right? Like, what are some of the things that led us to uh, a year later having more people uh, having heart disease than the year before, right? Like, what did we do or more importantly, what did we not do? And for, for those who, you know, been listening or this is maybe your first episode, first of all, thank you for joining. I always like to give some facts uh, associated with the disease topics we talk about just so you can kind of get a, a ballpark of the seriousness uh, when we talk about diseases, right? So when we're talking about heart disease, this is a disorder that kills about 800 and 40,000 people every single year. 840,000, that's, that's almost a million. That's a lot of people um, suffer from heart disease. And when I say suffer, actually die from it. So that's about roughly one in four uh, people. Um, it is the leading cause of death, not only here in the United States, but if you're one of my worldwide listeners across the world, cardiovascular disease kills more people across the world and it's really led led that number one position for almost a decade now right so that's uh definitely concerning and definitely a lot of lights are flashing when you hear about heart disease especially now that we have studies that showing that now 121 million people have it right that's a scary thought for us 
735,000 people suffer from a heart attack every year. And 735,000 people suffer from a heart attack. We are very fortunate that we're, we're, so at least in this country, we're living in an age where you don't necessarily die from a heart attacks uh, in any, as much as you used to, right? We do a great job of keeping people around after a heart attack with a lot of our life-saving measures. Um, you know, thank you to the cardiologists and interventional cardiologists and the internists who are taking care of these patients. But 735,000 is still a lot of people who suffer from a heart attack, right? So just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going. Um, by 2035, right, these are, the, these are just estimates right now, we'll have about 24 million people who will likely die. And again, this isn't a yearly thing. This is more of a total. About 24 million people are going to die from heart disease by the year 2035. 80% of these heart attacks, of these strokes, uh, which we'll talk about different forms of heart disease, um, are preventable, right? So this is a disease course that we see is killing almost a million people a year, that's almost giving a million people heart attacks every single year. And 80% of those things are something that if we were able to make a few changes, we'd be able to prevent it. 1,000 people die from sudden death daily, right? So again, that's that's a scary number, right? Like 1,000 people are going to die every single day from a sudden death, sudden cardiac death, which is like a huge heart attack in that regards. Cost, right? Because cost always is a big thing for me, right? Because I always want to know, like, hey, how much is disease costing us as a country? Uh, as a country, in 2016, cardiovascular disease cost us almost half, a, a little bit over half a trillion, trillion with a T, trillion dollars. We had about $555 billion spent on cardiovascular disease and the treatment for cardiovascular disease and uh, loss of productivity associated with cardiovascular disease. That's what people who have to be in the hospital, have to be home, and they can't work as much as they could, right? So uh, heart disease, not only is it a big dog when it comes to disease courses, but it costs us a lot of money. And uh, the most uh, important, I guess the more frequent uh, type of heart disease again, which we'll, we will get into the different types next, is blood pressure, high blood pressure, and we see that over fifty percent of the people who have high blood pressure aren't even controlled. So you have people, you have fifty percent of people who are walking around who know they have high blood pressure and they still don't have that under control. And and, and we know. What happens if you don't have that under control, right? You become uh, one of the 735,000 who die from a heart attack, um, who suffer from a heart attack every year, right? You become one of the 840,000 people who die every year uh, because of some type of cardiovascular disease, especially when we know uh, that heart, high, high blood pressure is a big cause of it. Right, so let's let's kind of transition, right? So uh, we talked about heart disease. We talked, we gave some, you know, pretty uh, interesting facts kind of associated with it. But you know, what types of heart disease are, are most people familiar with, right? Because again, high uh, heart disease is this blanket term that encompasses a lot of different types. So most people are going to be very familiar with heart attacks, right? That's a type of heart disease, right? And or coronary artery disease. That's a type of heart disease. Uh, high blood pressure, uh, peripheral arterial disease, right? So these are people who um, not only they have blood vessel issues, but they have blood vessel issues in the arms and the legs. 
And sometimes they require, uh, you know, going in there, cleaning it up, putting a stent in there as well, too. So uh, even in the legs, um, heart failure is another one. People who suffer from irregular rhythms of the heart is another form of heart disease, you know, congenital heart disease, right? So this is a person who uh, they were born with a heart defect that, you know, affects them later on, right? So these are lots of different types of heart disease that kind of fits under this umbrella. So when we talk about heart disease and uh, decreasing the number of heart disease and preventing the heart disease, a lot of times we're going after like, hey, what are some of the types of heart disease that we know is out there? High blood pressure, coronary disease, strokes, peripheral arterial disease, and how can we modify our risk associated with that? Right? Because that's what you want to know, right? You want to say, Dr. Barry, like, yes, uh, thank you for telling me, like, how bad heart disease is, right? But, like, how can I be one of the 80% of the people who do something to try to prevent it? So let's give some risk factors, right? And as we go through the risk factors, we'll go through what you'll be able to see, some that you can change, right? Some things that you can kind of affect associated with those risk factors and some that you really can't. So uh, number one, right? Number one risk factor associated with, and this isn't like a top to bottom, like the most common, but this is just kind of a list of numbers. Um, genetics. A big thing I always tell my medical students, I always tell my residents, is making sure you get a family history, a good family history, especially when you're dealing with a patient who you're concerned may have some type of heart disease, right? Because we know uh, there are so many genetic factors associated with heart disease, with heart attacks, with high blood pressure, with stroke, with peripheral artery disease. We know family history is such a huge factor um, that even if your numbers look great, if you have a good family history, that's someone I'm, I'm keeping an eye on even closer, right? Like I've had patients that I've taken, uh, that I've admitted to the hospital and their, their initial numbers look great. You know, even their story's kind of shaky, but if they start saying like, hey, you know what, my, my mom uh, died from a heart attack and my dad suffered a stroke, like they start telling me stuff like that, I am much more uh, cautious and just letting them go, right? Like I want to make sure that I do everything I can uh, before this person kind of leaves my sight. Uh, age, age is a big one. Age is a big one, especially when we start talking about strokes, when we start talking about coronary disease, and when we start talking about high blood pressure, uh, because there's, there's a relationship that goes along with it. So we know that as you get older, right, as you get older, uh, you are more prone uh, to suffer from heart disease. That's just a uh, plain fact. So if you, the older you get, the more likely you'll have high blood pressure, right? The older you get, the more likely you'll have heart disease, right? The older you get, the more, uh, you know, seasoned, uh, I like to call it, right? The more seasoned you become, your risk goes up, right? Because remember, heart disease is disease of the heart, but also disease of the blood vessels. So as we get older, we tend to get plaque buildup in those vessels. Um, and even if you have the best diet, you're taking the best medication, that still occurs. So uh, age is a big thing, especially once we get older. Now, it's interesting for women, right? For women, uh, women tend to have a protective uh, barrier uh, up until a certain point, right? So as men, by the time you hit the age 45, uh, your, your risk factor uh, of age is a big one, right? Like, oh, you're 45, boom, I got to worry about your age being a risk factor for you. But for women, that number actually goes all the way up to 55, right? And reason being 
is that it's been shown that estrogen, especially for women who are menstruating, menstruating regularly and, you know, don't have any early menopause, right? Estrogen is actually protective against heart disease. So there's a lot of benefits associated with the estrogen that your the, the woman's body produces in, in a cardioprotective manner. Unfortunately, once they go into menopause and those estrogen levels drop, all of a sudden their shield of protection goes away. And because their shield of protection goes away, all of a sudden now you're susceptible to the heart attacks even more. Now you're susceptible to the strokes. Now you're susceptible to having high blood pressure and coronary disease and heart failure and abnormal. You're susceptible to all of these things and all of these different types of heart disease because that shield that you used to have called estrogen just isn't there anymore. Um, and then uh, I kind of just alluded to as far as men versus women, uh, we know men have a higher risk for heart disease. But if you've been listening to if you listen to the show before, um, you understand that my theory associated why men tend to suffer from these types of diseases uh, at a much uh, you know worsening clip and worsening rate is because we do such a good job avoiding the healthcare system. Right. We do such a good job not going to see the doctor for our regular checkups. Right. We do such a good job uh, essentially saying, you know what, like I feel fine. So I'm not going to get my routine blood work. I'm not going to get my routine, you know, blood pressure check. I'm not going to do those things that I know my wife is going to do all the time. Right. Like every year, like they're doing that. But me, I'm going to stay at home because I, quote unquote, feel fine. So I think, a, I think a lot of that, if you ask me uh, when, when I see these numbers that says that men are affected worse, I always want to know, wow, are these men the type of men who go to the doctor for their routine checkups, who are actually you know, on schedule with everything? Are these the type who are couch potatoes? Or even if they're like you know, semi-athletic and they do a lot of stuff around the house, because they never actually go to see the doctor's office, that's a problem. When I was uh, doing outpatient medicine, I actually had a patient who was a bodybuilder, worked out five days a week, and was experiencing chest pain and chest discomfort, went to the hospital. Next thing you know, he is having a quadruple bypass, right? Because he had a, a huge family history of it. But he thought if he just worked out, right, it wouldn't be a problem. And so he avoided the healthcare system, right? He avoided seeing doctors until he was forced to see a doctor and forced to get a a cabbage, right, which is the triple bypass uh, in that regard. Right? So de- definitely, uh, you know, when it comes to, to gender, gender is a big thing in, in that regards. So these are some of the things, right? So those were some of the, the three that you really can't do much about. Um, a racism, I'm sorry, race is another one. Uh, you know, the uh, African-American, American Indian, Hispanic males and women, um, they are affected by heart disease a lot uh, more than our white um, counterparts, right? And there's, there's a lot of different, you know, issues kind of associated with that. So uh, race is a big thing for us. And what I see a lot of times my residents will uh, make it a point when they're talking about and they're presenting a patient who they are concerned for risk factors for cardiovascular disease, they'll make it a point to say, like, this is a... You know, uh, for example, 54-year-old, uh, no, I'm sorry, 56-year-old black female who presents with chest pain, right? Because they're trying to key me in like, hey, uh, this person is 56 years old, they're coming in for chest pain, and they're black, right? So they have a couple risk factors that we should be much more weary of and not really blow this off, 
So now let's go to, so that was, um, so just kind of recap. Uh, so risk factors that you really can't change your gender, right? Can't change your gender. Um, your, your age, right? You're going to get older. Um, your family history, right? And your race, right? Those are, those are about four things that you really can't uh, do anything about. Like they're just kind of, they're boring onto you and you just kind of have to deal with it. Now, let's talk about some of the stuff that you can change, right? And this is where those 80% of people who say, you know what, I want to do something with my life, right? This is where they come in, right? So number one, cigarettes. Cigarettes are one of those things that, again, if you've listened to this show long enough, you know I don't understand how people are still smoking cigarettes in 2019, especially with all the information that we already know, but I understand addiction is addiction. But cigarettes is one of those things that if you stop smoking cigarettes, you reduce your risk for heart disease dramatically. Like we already know that. Like that's already in the books. But you have to stop smoking the cigarettes. So cigarettes is a big one. Uh, diet, of course. Uh, what, what a lot of people have postulated uh, over this past year or so, um, and honestly, even in the past you know three to five years, is that the the rate of obesity, especially here in America. Um, has greatly contributed uh, to the number of Americans who now have uh, uh, the tick uh, kind of checked off for heart disease, right? They, obesity has been a big uh, factor associated with that. So diet and exercise is definitely a couple of things that you can uh, adjust and move uh, to try to you know reduce your risk and become in that 80%. Uh, inactivity, right? So these are my couch potatoes. People who really don't do much strenuous activity throughout the day, uh, these people are at a higher risk for heart disease because uh, they're couch potatoes. Um, sleep, uh, you must get good sleep, right? And I, I kind of prefaced it earlier in the uh, show that I got sick, and a lot of times when I get sick, the first thing I notice is that wow, I wasn't really sleeping that much, right? So I wasn't even giving my body enough time uh, to sleep. And uh, studies have shown that for patients who have heart disease, a lot of times you want to make sure that their sleep function is normal. Because if you have abnormal sleep function, abnormal sleep pattern, right, or you're diagnosed with sleep apnea or you feel like you have sleep apnea, you know, you're going to have much more difficulty controlling your blood pressure when you have sleep apnea, especially if you're not treating the sleep apnea, right? You're going to have much more difficulty you know, treating your blood pressure, much more difficulty following the heart attack, right? Much more difficulty uh, doing these things when you are overweight and obese is what the the studies are showing. So uh, definitely uh, important to note like how important weight is uh, as far as a risk factor is concerned. And this is another one. This is socioeconomic status, right? This is one thing that I've always been a champion of, right? Like I, I feel that we are, as a healthcare community, we can be sometimes disingenuous of what we expect our patients to do without actually taking into account what they can do, right? Again, I want to, you know, really stress that, right? Like we say, this is what you should be doing, but we never say this is what, like, what can you do, right? Like, can you actually make it to my doctor's office once a month, right? Can you actually pay those, pay for those prescriptions uh, who, where, where I just sent you uh, to go to go pick it up from, right? Can you uh, do those things? And a lot of physicians aren't asking those questions. So what happens is you send your patient 
to with a medication that's too expensive and they say I'm not going to take it but they may not necessarily actually call you and say they're not going to take it and you should you obviously you should be the person who knows that but you know we, we we already know how patients do and patients just don't do that right like they they don't make it that easy for us so when we talk about like preventing uh, the heart disease right these are the pillars that we tend to look at, right? We tend to look to see if I affect my diet, like how can I do it, right? Like if I get cigarettes out of here, how can I do that, right? If I stop becoming an inactive couch potato, right? Like how can I do that? Um, And if I'm in a position from a lower socioeconomic status, uh, what is it I can do at my status that can help me move further along not only in uh, the the circle from a socioeconomic standpoint, uh, but just in general, right? Like, what can I do to move along and, and you know prosper? Uh, understanding that uh, my my background and my socioeconomic status does play a factor in how well I control my cardiovascular disease. It does play a factor in whether you're going to be the type of person that they're going to have to cut their leg off because the peripheral arterial disease is so bad. It's so bad. Or you're the type of person who had to suffer a heart attack and be in the hospital for a few days and be transferred to a rehab for a few days. A lot of this kind of encompasses all of those things that you can actually change. Right. So you have two tables. Again, follow with me. You have two tables. One is genes and age and sex and and gender. Right. Those things that you can't do anything about because that's like solid. And then the other one is cigarettes, diet, inactivity, or lack of exercise, lack of proper sleep, and then socioeconomic status, right? Those are things that you can kind of adjust on your own, and that's what you'll have to do, especially when you're trying to get over uh, the hump of that, that 80%, right? It's, it's difficult to get into that 80%, but once you get to the 80%, you're, you're really smooth sailing from here. And I want to, because I always get these questions anytime I talk about any type of disease, right, is, well, doc, what can I eat, right? Like, what can I eat to, you know, put me in that 80% or just make me feel better or make me get rid of some of these bad meals I'm, uh, I'm listing, right? And I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to put uh, this link to the show notes, but I'm just going to kind of read off, you know, 15 more very common uh, things that they choose that you should be eating. So number one is leafy green vegetables. Like, I think that's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, number two, whole grains. Uh, number three, berries. Uh, number four, avocados. Number six, I'm sorry, number five, fatty fish and fish oil. Uh, number six, uh, walnuts. Seven, beans. Eight, dark chocolate. Nine, tomatoes. Ten, almonds. Eleven, seeds. 12 garlic. I'm not sure how you'd be eating garlic, but I guess uh, I know some people have like garlic pills. Um, good luck on your breath. Um, olive oil. And uh, the last one is a, an, another type of soybean. So as you can see, just kind of reading off that list pretty quickly. And like I said, you'll, you'll have time. I'm going to put the link to the show notes. Uh, a lot of these are very plant-based items. Uh, these are the type of items that are likely going to keep you in the produce section uh, of your grocery store, right? And that just kind of gives you an idea of what you can do uh, to be heart healthy, right? You have to be able to kind of attack the the heart healthiness of it, right? You have to have more vegetables, have more fruit. Those things 
provide a, a better backdrop and better background support from the treatment perspective, right? So uh, think about that, especially when you're starting to think like, like, how can I eat better? Or you have your mom, your dad, your grandpa, who you know has high blood pressure, who you know has some peripheral arterial disease, and you want to say, you know, hey, mom, dad, like, can you start eating these types of food for me? Because I want to make sure you're around longer, right? Like, I want to make sure uh, uh, you know, you're, you're here as long as you want to kind of do the job uh, that you're here for. So, you know, that's kind of wraps up, you know, my 2019 update uh, as far as the heart disease is concerned. And I want to point out, you know, just kind of going through the article that one thing they said that kind of led to the rise of heart disease uh, was recent changes that were performed last year uh, here on the you know, from an American Health Association guideline standpoint, where they kind of, I guess, uh, loosened, I would say, like they kind of loosened how, you know, how uh, much your blood pressure had to be for you to be considered having high blood pressure. And we talked about one of the types of heart disease is high blood pressure. So once they did that, you had a lot more people. And it's so funny, uh, right? Because uh, we've had this same discussion, those who've been, you know, following me for a while. Uh, in episode 48 with Dr. Watson Ducatel, uh, when they first changed uh, the guidelines, you know, me and him actually did a, a joint uh, video blog, which I didn't put on the podcast, where we talked about like what this actually meant, right? We talked about like, hey, you know, now you're getting, now that you're lowering the threshold, you're going to have a lot more people who meet the criteria for high blood pressure. And, and that's essentially what the, the author kind of suggests, like, hey, we understand that this organization doesn't really use the strict guidelines anymore, and they're a little bit looser with it. So because of that, you know what, we're going to get a lot more people who are now diagnosed with high blood pressure. And so what you're going to do with those people is kind of up to you guys. So that's essentially what I, uh, I think happened, right? Um, that I, I think we've had this huge influx of people. Uh, who used to not be considered to have high blood pressure, but now they're considered to have high blood pressure. And you know what that means? If they're considered to have high blood pressure, you got to treat like they have high blood pressure. You got to give them medications like they have high blood pressure, right? You got to encourage their diet for a patient who has like, uh, low blood pressure, right? So that's where your, you know, your low salt diets and your fruits and your walnuts and all those things that I kind of listed uh, kind of play a huge factor uh, in, in that regards there. So, um, where do we go from here, right? So that's that's probably the more important question, right? You listen to this great episode and you want to know, like, what should I do next? First and foremost, get the checkup, right? Like, if you have not gotten your routine yearly checkup, yeah, get a checkup. See where you kind of fall. See if you have had any high blood pressure or any high cholesterol or any of these things here, right? So just get that established care. And if you have family members who you know um, have high blood pressure, who you know have heart disease, who suffer from strokes, who suffered a stroke before, who suffered a heart attack before, uh, understand that like they need to be diligent. They need to be following over their doctor. They need to be eating well. That's the low-salt diet, good fruits, good nuts um, in, in that regards. Right? They have to do these things here uh, to make sure uh, they're, they're capitalizing and making sure they can be themselves can be in the 80% of people who never have to deal with the, the future complications associated with heart disease. Right. So that's my time, guys. I'm going to see you next week again. Thank you for all of the well wishes. Um, I am back. Uh, We're talking about heart disease. This is February. You guys have a great and blessed day.